can't believe that you haven't seen it. Love it so much you really gotta stream it. Let me tell you every line right now. I can quote the whole thing since I was 12. Maybe your mom told you no. She said she wouldn't give you Hey, hey, hey. This is Brandon Greenhouse and my lovely best Jeanette, Jane Blackburn Hammer. And you are listening to Movies We Missed, a podcast that is dedicated to revisiting the films of yesteryear. Uh, each week we take turns watching a movie that the other person has assigned us, usually a beloved film of the other person. And then we have a little gab fest all about it. Uh, how are you doing this week, Janie? I'm doing great. I was um, thrilled to hear, what did you call me, your best Jeanette? I thought it'd be nice to try something, you know, no disrespect to, you know, Miss Garland, but I thought it'd be, <laughs> you know, let's try out a different name and see. Instead okay, of your, so, my best Judy, I went with my right. best Jeanette. It was just something new, I, you know? I, look, I, I'm I'm a fan of it. I thought it was great. I just didn't know if it was a saying or if it was something just off the top of your head. Yeah, just let me know. Um, okay. When you're done judging, and then I'll just tap back in. <laughs> Take your time, though. I know um, sometimes it's arduous. Yeah, no, no. And I definitely think um, we're going to be waiting a long time. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Speaking so of you, judging, I oh, actually I have something I wanted to wait till we got on to the air to confront you with. And now that you have bullshitted enough, let me bring up my point. Oh, here we go. So, this weekend, I went to a wedding, and it was one of my first post-COVID activities. It was a fully vaccinated wedding, so Mm -hmm. before we get a million DMs and conversations about how I'm breaking the COVID protocols, um, (laughs) let me assure you, it was all above board. And it was... It was super fun, but one of the things that happened was I got my hair and makeup done. And it was the first time that I really glammed up, you know, in a very long time. (laughs) Do you know what I'm going to say? No, I I don't. (laughs) Okay. So, of course, I sent a selfie to my boy, Brand. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. And I wrote wrote the couch, because what I wanted... Oh, was, was personal validation from my best friend <laughs> to tell me how beautiful I looked. And I wrote the caption. I think I said, like, it was a selfie of me. And I wrote, oh, and my hair and makeup was done. And I wrote, I think I wrote, like, all I see is a model or something like that. And you did write back. <laughs> you go, you look so beautiful. What kind of face tune did you use on this? And I nearly threw my phone across the room, Brandon. Okay, okay, first of all. No, of- let me finish before oh, you jump okay, okay. in and defend yourself. Okay. I was like, I hate you so much because A, I know you so well that I knew that you weren't trying to be shady. <laughs> I know you were 
just curious as to whether I'd used a filter or not. And I <laughs> know that you have, when you sent that text message, you had no idea how shady that came across. But it was so much shade in one little text message that you sent off. And I was like, this bitch. So I never, I don't know if you noticed, but I never responded. That actually was, I wasn't petty not responding. I was just busy at the wedding and everything. So I yeah, forgot, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it made me, it I... made me laugh so hard because it was just classic. What you say about people all the time is like, and in particular, certain family members of yours, you're like, they don't even understand that they're being shady. And I saw that in you wholeheartedly this weekend with that one text message. My, my, my mother and my grandmother. Are both okay. Honest. I didn't want to name them. No, it's, you... well, I mean, my mom, my grandmother's not listening to this, even though she's the most loved person in the world. We love you, Grandma. We love you. And, we absolutely like, love you, Grandma Betty. And we love your mom, too, Gwen. Oh, of course, my mom. We we love you, Mama. And so my mom is like, what? Anytime I want to say something shady, she's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, per- and, like, so I do know that, like, apparently um, I also uh, do that from time to time, you know? So uh, It runs in the fan, baby. So I will apologize. I did no. not even... <laughs> No, no, but the thing is, I, I didn't even I, think about it. I assumed, because, by the way, Jane never responded to my text message, <laughs> but I assumed it was because you were really, like, got caught up in, like, the... It was. The I mean, truly, truly, it was. I was totally caught up, and I knew... I, 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 I know you so well. I was in no way actually offended. I just thought it was so funny. But also, I really Jane, didn't respond are... because I was, like, literally away from my phone for, like, 12 hours. Jane, you also... Jane is a very, very beautiful woman. Like, she oh, is gorgeous. Her skin is flawless. You know, any delusions <laughs> that Jane may have about certain things to do with her and her personality and just her general toxicity has nothing to do with, like, how stunning she is. She's gorgeous. <laughs> and that's... And when I said it, I literally, like, I looked at the photo, and first of all, maybe... Okay, so, first of all, was there any app or any okay brandon yes i used an instagram filter move on cute okay (laughs) so of course i used a filter but i will say i looked beautiful without it that well that's the thing that was the thing the only reason why i is because god anything i say i'm gonna sound like a fucking shady bitch the only reason why you can see a filter obviously i know that but but the thing about the reason why i asked though is because i wasn't 100 percent sure because you are you are so pretty and if you had said no, this doesn't have a filter on it, I pro- I would have just been like, oh, oh wow, like that's the thing. Sometimes people use filters, and you look at the photo, and you're like, you are giving me Avatar, and <laughs> yeah. that wasn't what was happening. You looked so beautiful, and you always do. I just like Thank I saw you. there was just something that was a little like, is this? has this been smoothed Uh, out yes it has baby boy as Um, you say as you would say charge to the game and move on exactly no you're right (laughs) but also you know you're you're my bestie so I was like you know you want me to ask her about it I'm just curious I know and, and truly, um, but I really I do was get, not I Also, I will note the fact that Jane <laughs> sent me that photo early. Jane sent me that photo at like 11. And I meant to respond, and then I didn't. 
I got caught up with some stuff and then I came back to it at like nine or ten o'clock. So she got this text like <laughs> questioning <laughs> questioning the ethics of her photograph like ten hours later. And I'm sure she was like, Not only did you wait half a day to send me this damn response, but then you have the nerve to try and come from my filter. So it's funny when you first said I have a bone to pick with you, I was like, Oh my god, like Jane must have like, you know, seen my alternate, you know, accounts where I drag her all the time. Right. Um, and, the, and I was those like, can oh, no. live without my knowledge. I don't mind. But, you know. But then <laughs> when you started talking about the photo, I was like, huh, what's this going to be about? And then I thought about it. So I was like, oh, okay. I see. I see how this can be taken. <laughs> I know. And, and I'm know. truly, I'm truly not mad. And I love you. And I, and you know that. No, dra- I just drag was, me. I, well, and, I and I did. It. And I will and continue to forever. Um, but I just thought it was That's very right, girl. Should we maybe go ahead and like talk about what this podcast let's, is about? Let's um let's dive into it right now. Um so this week I was the watcher and I'm not just talking about in my neighbor's windows. Um <laughs> Jane gave me the movie um I Muriel's Wedding to Watch. Um, did you forget the title? I did because For I was God's thinking sake. of literally every other Australian movie. <laughs> Like I was about to, say, I, w- I was about to say Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, absolutely. Oh, and I was like, classic. that's not the movie. And I've seen that one already, so that's why I was yeah. like, uh, anyway. So no, it was Miro's wedding, and uh, yeah, it was it was a real adventure. And um, I don't know, do we do we normally say how we feel about the film? Well, the do you want me to read? I mean, sometimes we do. But yes, do of course, want, of I course. Mean, that I, I want Jane. Jane, I'm we throwing forget, to you. For some reason, in between the six days that we record this podcast and return to coming return to recording and we forget exactly how it's done so what i will do is i'll read the synopsis and then we'll get started i'm I'm, I'm waiting i'm ready muriel is all of us if all of us are 20 somethings living in a provincial town on the north coast of australia in our parents home sitting in our room listening to abba songs over and over dreaming of a better life that may not be all of us specifically but we can all relate to some part of her muriel lives with her depressed mother her insecure egomaniac of a father and four inexplicably sweaty siblings. They are all unmotivated and it would appear that between the family of six, not one of them has an actual job. And Muriel isn't the typical sad girl whose life just happens to her. She's willing to take some risks to get what she wants, even if it might end up with her behind bars. But luckily her father, a local and corrupt politician, gets her out of any real trouble. Later, at a dinner at a local Chinese restaurant, they happen to run into a family friend called Deirdre. She sets up Muriel with a job selling cosmetics. Muriel's mother gives her a blank check to buy makeup kits for the new job, but Muriel has a different plan. She ends up stealing 12,000 Australian dollars from her parents. She heads off on a vacation to Hibiscus Island, a holiday planned by the mean girls she so desperately wants to be friends with. Before they all take off, the girls tell Muriel she's not invited, but having zero tact and even less self-awareness, she shows up anyways. There, on Hibiscus Island, she runs into an old-school acquaintance named Rhonda. Rhonda makes Muriel feel alive and important and fun. Together, they tell off those petty girls, and Muriel realizes that with Rhonda, she can find her voice and her power. Muriel decides to leave it all behind and move to Sydney with Rhonda. She knows that the thing that will make her feel like she's truly shed her old life as Muriel is someone choosing her as their bride. Unfortunately, on her road to self-discovery, Rhonda gets diagnosed with cancer and the rug is ripped out underneath them. 
Mariel, scared of losing Rhonda and facing the reality that she might never be a bride, answers an ad in the newspaper. The ad is placed by the coach of a sexy young South African swimmer who's looking for Australian citizenship. Finally, Mariel's dream of being a bride in a fairy tale wedding is in sight. But what happens after the I do's and the supposed happily ever after? Will Mariel have to eventually confront the house of lies she's built to create the life she thinks she's always wanted? Will her friends and family fall silently in line and let this all go off without a hitch? Will her sister Joni ever stop saying... You're terrible, Muriel. You're all invited to find out in Muriel's wedding. Ooh. <laughs> it is. It is quite the adventure. You got a little taste of my Australian accent there. I did, yeah. You're what terrible, you Jane. <laughs> oh, there's some shrimps on the body. Crikey. Right. So, what did you think of the movie? I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was um, it was one of those films I felt like I, it's um, it's hard to pin down as far as tone is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as a film, like there were moments where I was sort of like, oh, it's this type of film. No, mm-hmm. oh, it's this type of film, and, and it had a lot more substance is the wrong word, but I mean, yeah, there was Death. a lot more. There was a lot more at play than like a typical. Like there's moments where you're like, oh, this is going to be what it becomes. Oh, this is going to be what it becomes. You know, mm-hmm. so much of the beginning of the movie, she's just sort of floundering and. Mm-hmm. She seems like she has no foundation. She's, you know, you find out very early on that she's got these shitty friends. And mm-hmm. then you realize she's got this shitty family. Mm-hmm. And then you're sort of, because, you know, but when you meet her shitty friends and you think, oh, maybe she's got like a support at home that's sort of our counter to the way that she's received by the world. She's got a mother and a father at home who are maybe telling her how special she is. And then you're like, oh, no, this is, this is shitty too. And you're right. <laughs> Everybody is like sweaty. Everybody's nice. perspiring on such a level. Um, <laughs> It's a lot. It's gross. But it's it's not everybody. It's really just her family members. Like her. That's what, when I say everybody, sisters. I just meant everybody in the house. I mean, her mm. mom, not so much, and not really her dad, I guess. But like all of the other kids. And there's a moment at the wedding. The, that's the first scene in the movie. Her friends are treating her really crappy. And there's a moment. Um, Muriel's arrested quite early on, and she's brought home for having stolen a dress by Diane. <laughs> Anyway, the point is that when she gets home and she walks in the house, it's everybody's like smoking cigarettes and like everybody's really damp. And it's one of those moments where you like you can smell a room and you're just like, oh, oh for it's sure. It's like cigarettes and B.O. and nobody can tell me different. Oh, and like open cans of beer and like the house is like not well kept. It's not it's not like a full on dump. Like it's not like hoarders call Dr. Robin Zazio, but it is bad. Wow. Like it's messy. You know it's probably dusty and like moldy because they live in what appears to be a beach town. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you can tell everything's just kind of like mildewy and gross. Yeah, you know the air is thick. Yeah, and like the sheen of sweat on like particularly it's like her older brother Perry yeah. and her sister Joni are like really sweaty and Well, gross. you you know that like antiperspirant hasn't been swept across anyone's pit in that house. My god. And no. so you know that it's just natural, <laughs> just dank like the stew. Our own scent. We like our own scent. Yeah, the stew of <sighs> uh, a body in need. Is what's <laughs> running rampant through those rooms, and it's an odor you can't you can't escape from. And so, yeah, that's pretty early on. You know, I'm just gonna I'll jump right in. First thing is that yeah. I thought was just interesting 
So Tony Collette was around 22 when this came out and also nominated for a Golden Globe. You know, this was a big yeah. movie in Australia. Mm-hmm. This was the third highest grossing film opening weekend of any film. In Australia and, or in the United mm-hmm. States? In oh, Australia. Okay. And then uh, <laughs> Rachel Griffith, who's amazing, you know, Academy Award nominated actress, you know, in her mm-hmm. own right. She's wonderful. She's She was 26. It's just crazy to see the two of them. Uh in this movie so young i didn't even recognize it it took me a second to realize that that was tony collette honestly Mm -hmm. just she just looks so different she looks so so young and it's just so interesting she doesn't look like the same person and a lot of that is like the wide-eyed i mean i I don't think i've seen a lot of younger tony collette performances at all anyway and i you know so that's i mean this is certainly the first tony collette performance i ever saw and i remember like i mean certainly the first time i watched this i had no idea who she was or who rachel griffiths was because i saw it you know not too long after it came out and it was one yeah, I I was young and it was, you know, I always used to like peruse indie section of sure. the video store. And so this was one that I randomly chose. I do not know why. I think probably just the cover, honestly. And I must have been in sixth or seventh grade and I rented it and loved it. Then I rented it continuously. I used to rent it all the time. This is a movie I've seen so many times. And I, I think... For me, it's just like one of those movies that there's moments where I really, really relate to Muriel and moments where I'm really frustrated by her and moments where I think it's so funny and moments where I just feel so sad about everything. So it's like you were talking about the tone of this movie. It's hard to pin down because it is so many things. And I think for me, that makes it a really successful movie because you're feeling so many different ways at so many different times. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that the thing about Muriel was there's that moment right towards the beginning. You realize that this is your heroine. You realize that she um, she's up against it. You know, Mm -hmm. that becomes, you know, her friends are sort of um, conniving and cruel. And I mean, we're using the term friends as loosely as it can be used (laughs) and just really like manipulative people. And they do a lot of punching down and it becomes evident really quick. You know, she is the booger of the group in their minds. And so they're trying to flick her off. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And you are really you're rooting for her because, you know, you're like, oh, this is my heroine. Okay, we're going to we're going to watch her go on this journey. And it's interesting because like one of the first things that happens is Muriel's arrested. And when that happened, I thought it was like a dream sequence for a moment because I was like, there's no way. Like, because in my mind, I'm like, oh, she's this sweet. But it's funny because it's so human. Like, I know those girls. Like, totally. Who, you know, do the kinds of things that Muriel does. And they're always sort of the unassuming ones. And you think sweet. And they're quiet. And they keep to themselves. And they're not rabble rousers. Um, mm-hmm. But there's still, like, this sort of, like complex inner life there is like conflict there and i mean i remember the you know i remember those girls in in high school that would like go to like target and steal makeup and stuff and i always was like oh my god i can't believe you guys did that like at school they were like tell me about it i did those things like that's why i like relate to muriel in some ways too because like i think that well, I don't know, but I think I came off as like a nice person who really, I, I mean, I did actually get into some trouble, but that was like later in my life. But yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely, I, I don't think I know a single 
person, a single woman my age who didn't spend, like, who didn't have, like, a shoplifting phase. Because I think there's a lot of things that goes into it, but certainly when you hit high school and when you hit that age and you're like, oh, I'm told that I'm supposed to be all these things and have all these things and all of the medium consuming makes me feel like I have to look exactly like this. I have to wear these things in order for people to like me. And I don't have the money to do that. I don't have my own source of income. You know, most of us didn't have jobs or if you did have a job, it was a part time job and, you know, you're making like seven dollars an hour hour, you know, and so uh, you go through phases where, at least I did, where you, I shoplifted clothes all the time. And like, I'm not, certainly not proud of that, but like I You're flexing for sure. (laughs) Well, I'm not, I, I, looking back, I'm like, I cannot believe how bold I was, but like, I would never do that now. And I would never do that probably even in, in my early twenties, but certainly when I was 16, I would walk into a store with baggy clothes and stuffed clothes under my shirt. Like that is crazy. I can't believe I did well, that. Well, I was going to ask you, what did you do? I know there are different strategies. We're not condoning theft, by the way. This honestly, <laughs> uh, for Jane, is a woman, her, the age she is, I mean, this is essentially the equivalent of <laughs> looking through a parent's photo album, just so we're clear. This is just a memory lane thing. This isn't us celebrating sure, sure, sure. it. And most well, of I these would... techniques wouldn't work in the brick and mortar stores that are standing today. You know what I mean? We're talking about Sears and Roebuck opening day ribbon cutting. Um, that's what we were dealing with security wise. Um, we need to talk uh, about this movie. We need to talk about this movie. So and Jane got us off track and I'm sorry about that guys. I'm going to get us back on though. This it's is embarrassing that I, I did it. Um, so yeah, there's a moment at the wedding where it, it's so funny because it's one of those movies where you keep thinking it's going to be about a thing that it's not about. Like there's mm-hmm. a moment at the wedding where Muriel like sees, you know, one of the bridesmaids having sex in a bathroom or like a laundry room on a dryer with like the groom who just married their, you know, their both of their friend. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, this movie's going to be about like the pickle that Muriel's in with the friend fucking, you know, their, their best friend's like, you know, husband on his wedding day. No, mm-hmm. that's not what it's about. Um, but I thought it because it's like a that's a big thing to sort of like take in and you you know and no that wasn't the that wasn't the tea. Um, no, and I think it was like I I think it's just to show like these are the kinds of people that Mario oh for sure it was just with. to set us up and to be like this is these are your these are your character your um your characters this is these are the people you're rooting for mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, and it's not I mean. any of these people at this wedding except for mm-hmm. Muriel. <laughs> no, Muriel's the only one we care about. Muriel gets arrested. She goes home, and there's the you already brought it up, but her her sister, you know, you're terrible, Muriel. You're terrible, like, Muriel. You're horrible that's, too for different that's, reasons. <laughs> that is a line that I say all the time, in and out of context. It's just been something that I've said for years and years since I've seen this movie. It's such a good line, and I think it's an iconic line for the movie. Like I think most people know that line for sure. And it's the it's that the beginning of the ABBA, which is like a mm-hmm. like a huge part of the of this film, and just really served to set up like you know like a whole a whole mood. ABBA's a mood, so it mm-hmm. really does its job. That's like one of the first scenes when she um, when she comes back home, and it's really funny because even when they had her in the police car, first of all, Diane's garbage. 
from the wedding who like called this Meryl bitch. out. It's like she calls out, you know, her mother later on in the film, Muriel's mother as well. It's just like Diane's so fucking petty. Yeah, she's like one of those characters where you see her face and you're like, oh, that woman's a bitch. Like, you know it for sure. Also, like, it's just like mind your own fucking business. Right. But she's These that sandals she has have anything that to do face. With you? No. Yeah, I really wanted somebody to whoop her ass, though. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Just really quick hands just outside. Just somebody be like, hey, remember me? <laughs> you know, I spent the night in Clink because of you, Diane. Let me see. You know, I'm going to rob you of your I'm going to rob you of your face. How about that? Um, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, there's a few people in this movie who, like, don't get their just desserts, which is disappointing. But I wanted her to get, like, those kangaroo punches, you know? Kangaroos are known for, for their punches. Um, are they? Right? Yeah, they are. You know, okay. and the little well, baby kangaroos it. are called joeys. Yeah, um, that so is that's true. just a little little factoids for you, a little something to nosh on. D- Muriel goes out with her family to um, Hibachi, and I instantly is had. Is it Hibachi? Or is, is it, it not Hibachi? Chinese... I think it's just a Chinese restaurant. But there was a person, wasn't there a person in front of them, like serving? I thought it was Hibachi. I thought somebody was, was cooking up the food behind them, but maybe I was just like projecting my desire for it to be Hibachi. Mm, I would love a hibachi moment. I, I love hibachi. I love it. So it got actually, me really excited. I've only ever been once. And actually, the food I had was really bad. But it was fun, so I want to go again. You like the, the fantasy of it. I've had... Mm-hmm. There's a place in Dallas that we used to go to, and we'd have dances and stuff. The whole group, collectively, we'd mm-hmm. all, like, you know, we'd put our money together, and we'd rent, like, a, you know, a limo. And we'd go to hibachi, and then we'd go to the dance. And oh, it so was like fun. it was like a whole thing. We'd have like we had our group, like our friend group, and we all we had shirts that we had that we made up, and then oh on the God. back, all of the couples' names were screen printed down the oh, back that of the is shirt. Disgusting! It was what you did. It was what you. Way to make people feel did. left out for not being a couple. Oh my God! Oh, I didn't even think. Yeah, I didn't, everybody yeah, was didn't a couple that, though. You were always booed up. I guess because I was fifteen. <laughs> Most of us weren't even couples. Most of us were just friends, you know. I mean, yeah, same. Uh, I mean, but but I remember like the guys getting together, and I remember it being like, you know, who's gonna take so and so? Who's gonna take so and so? And oh, we would have like really? a little thing where we got together and decided what what guy was gonna ask which girl to the dance. Yeah. See, I didn't like. I had a different experience. <laughs> I mean. Particular, like, I, my friends and I, we weren't that into like school stuff or activities. We were into shoplifting, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Anyway, so we're at the Chinese restaurant. We're at the Chinese restaurant, not not hibachi. Um, we meet. Um, the family's eating there. Her father's horrible. Um, mm-hmm. he confirms it. We find out that that Muriel's very much sort of like in this stage of her life where she's trying to figure out what she wants to do. Her father keeps trying to force her into these into these circles. She's a square peg, and he keeps trying to like force her into these places that she should fit in his mind. He talks about her doing horrible in school. He talks about you know the thousands of dollars he's been. To put her through secretary school and then having to pay them off for her to get her certificate it's a lot of that and it's just a lot of shame and it's a lot of just like digging up the same stuff over and over again and it's like a family dinner and it's like we've all heard these stories before obviously but well it's also not just a family dinner which is one of the things that i noticed like there's people he i don't i don't know oh it's like a table of that's why i thought it was hibachi as well because the table they were at there were other people who weren't a part of the family and i thought that they were just no they were he was like they're like developers he i guess he does like he oh, does, I didn't get that. Okay. Or something, and like, I think they're like clients of his or something. Gotcha. And he goes on this rant about how useless his family is in front of everybody. And it's like, it's mainly Muriel, all, though. 
It's mainly Muriel, but he does say, like, all of you lot are useless and whatever. And I think, like, part of that is, it's, part of it that is so cringy is, like, yes, you're just a horrible, shitty father. But the other part of it that's so cringy about it to me is, like, you're at a table in a restaurant with a bunch of people, your potential clients that you're talking to, and you're just talking about how shitty your kids and family are. Like... No, it's it's really way awful. Make the, way to take the air out of the room, you know what There's I mean? There's also... A moment later on in the film, her, her father ends up leaving the family. And there's the moment later on in the film where he's sort of talking to his wife as he's leaving and telling her he wants a divorce. And he says, you know, I deserve better than this. Like, And he's blaming her for the failures in his life. And Dave said, Dave was like, you're exactly like them. Like, you fit perfectly into this family. You Absolutely. check every box that they do. And it's like, you are as... You know, I mean, he's a perfect example of what I talked about in the Moulin Rouge episode of the idea uh, as a performer of a super objective. I want the world mm-hmm. to see me as blank because I am not. Exactly. Like, I want the world to see me as like a man of honor and a man of stature, like because I am not. That's his whole thing is like knowing deep down inside that he's a piece of shit. And like, and like the he fear. wants to feel so important and so valuable and like like a man of the town that they live in and he wants family like he says at some point like I ran for I can't even remember what the office was some public office and like they said the reason I didn't make I it was he said my governor. family I think he said governor no I don't think he said governor I think it was like it, it wasn't quite as big as that but I don't know maybe I could be wrong but no he said, no <laughs> what Brad? I mean, maybe it is governor. I don't know. No, maybe it's not, though. (laughs) Well, either way, he says, Mm -hmm. like, I could have made it, but, like, my family wasn't up to snuff. And that's... They said my family wasn't up to snuff. And it's like, yeah, and you're part of that. You are part of that family. And whatever you mean by not up to snuff is, like, an insane thing to say. And it's just so hurtful. And he, he, to me, he's, like, the villain of this movie. Yeah, well, nobody's looking at you and thinking, like, huh, how did he end up in this pickle? Everybody's like, oh, this all checks out across the board. <laughs> um, quick scan. Everything's in order as far as all of these people <laughs> belonging to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also, there's this moment, um, well, first of all, I want to say in that scene, we do meet um, Deidre Chambers, mm. who is quintessential uh, 90s <laughs> opulence. Um, she's wearing these amazing <laughs> A, a gold heart earrings they're so oh good oh my god they're incredible um, I clocked they're those really too. good um, and I just everything the hair is teased mm-hmm. um, the outfit is in multiple prints it's prints on prints on prints <laughs> there's big shoulders uh, she's got a lot of attitude um, mm-hmm. and sass and you know she offers Muriel this job working for her you know selling makeup it sounds like Mary Kay basically yeah it's um, basically like the Avon lady or Mary Kay or yeah for sure I didn't hear any talk about Pink Cadillac, though. All right, Peter Reza. <laughs> yeah, that but, didn't quite make it into the conversation. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, it's clear that, like, she's, you know, she's trying to do a solid for the family for some reason. Um, Can't figure and, out why. Oh, wait, yeah. it's because she's having an affair with Bill Heslop. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's not confirmed, Jang. No, well... It, no, it is literally... It's confirmed. <laughs> um, yeah, they're fucking. And she um, always like shows up at the family dinners, and Bill's always like, "What a coincidence! So crazy to see you here." And it's like, "Deidre's yeah. here again." Crikey! Yeah. Oh, crikey! There's Deidre. However, Deidre. they say it. Deidre made it. Deidre made it to the to the dinner. Tell <laughs> me what you're going for. Um, <laughs> it's very that. 
Um, yeah, my accent's good. W- um, <laughs> it's flawless. I mean, we're both killing the Australian accent, obviously. Yeah, we are. We're doing really good at it. So we want to bring up Deirdre's comment at the dinner that she said. Oh my God. I wrote that down too. <laughs> I knew yeah. you had to have. Yeah. yeah. I wrote it down and Dave and I looked at each other. I felt like there was a couple other things that I missed because of the accent. Um, yeah. But the, so, okay. You should do the thing that I do, which is watch everything with the subtitles on. You miss nothing. Yeah. That's, that's actually a good point. Particularly um, if there's an accent. These businessmen, um, these are Asian businessmen. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where she turns to one of the businessmen. She's talking about her, her her company, and you know she sells this makeup. And she she looks at them, and she's like, "Oh, you know, your wife, the, you know, your wives are probably gaseous." <laughs> she and goes, I, "You know about makeup? Your wives are probably all gaseous." <laughs> it's horrible. And like, Dave and I looked at each other like, "Whoa, all right." I literally was like looking down at my computer typing something from before and I like stopped and looked up and I was like wait rewind did she say what I think she just said <laughs> so and Jane was watching this on VHS so she literally had to do the old fashioned <laughs> RW um, but yeah no it was yeah it was insane and also like just just right seems exactly appropriate as far as exactly. racism For the goes the kind and, of person that she is yeah anyway yeah so <laughs> so that so that happened and then there's a moment where Muriel's friends take her out and they're dining together and they basically are letting her down as gently as they can, which is also funny to me. I'm joking, by the way, about anything being gentle about this, um, because it's like, A, this could have been like a phone conversation. And mm-hmm. y'all took her to this public place to tell her that she's not in the group anymore, which is just so shitty. I did get the um, just to play. <laughs> devil's advocate which is a phrase i fucking hate but i just said it i did get the impression that muriel knew they weren't there for that because when you walk in tanya is crying because she found out her husband chuck which i guess his real name is peter but they call him chuck c-h-o-o-k which is australian slang for a chicken i don't understand why that's his nickname but story there yeah yeah, I'm sure. But she's crying because she found out that Chuck was receiving a blowjob from another person. So it seems like they're there to have that conversation, and then Muriel just kind of shows up. Muriel shows up. They're yelling at her as soon as she gets there. And then it's sort of them basically letting her know that she doesn't um, really jive with where they're taking the group to in terms of, you know, the, the places that they hope to, that they aspire to be, you know. And they say to her that people think that they're mad, but they're actually ragers. They say, people think we're mad, but we're rageous. And then they explain to her how she doesn't fit into that vibe that they're trying to create as a group. They're trying to cultivate. And like, people invite us to parties because we're mad, we're fun, we're rages, or whatever it is. And, like, Muriel's basically messing it up. <laughs> and then um, and then they explain to her that she's going to have to find friends on her own level. And, uh, yeah, and Muriel Which is proceeds. Like, can you imagine saying that to anybody or having that ever be said to you? Like, no. I can't ever imagine being that mean to someone. No, it's just cruel. I mean, and also at this point, we're all adults. Like, you should have done this shit in high school. Like, <laughs> also, like, there's a way, and maybe I'm wrong here, but like, to borrow a phrase from friends, why? We were I on mean, a break. And I guess, it, well, no. Let's <laughs> say, why didn't they just Too try ducking. to like phase her? No, okay. Why didn't they just try to phase her out? Oh, it's you know? that, you're the trifle. 
something. <laughs> okay. On the Thanksgiving Stop. episode. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. This really has nothing to do with that. I'm just... No, Rachel, you were not supposed to put beef in the trifle. It did not <laughs> taste good. Uh, the Gellers, Mrs. Geller coming Mrs. through. Mrs. Geller, anytime we can quote her, we will. <laughs> Phoebe, honey, I'm sorry, but I think Jacques Cousteau is dead. <laughs> no, um, that is a really good episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the it's one of, a classic one of episodes. Oh god, um, but no, you're right. Like phase her out. Like, like there are ways to do it, and there's tact, and there's grace, and you know, it's just like they're so heartless. But also, like, the entire movie, they've been like shitting on her and yelling at her, and like it's... the one, the little blonde one in particular is just like oh she's so god. venomous and like the bride. Anything, you mean? Chuck. No, no, not the bride. One of the the bridesmaids. She's the shorter one, and she's the one with the really oh, blonde hair. And yeah, she spends yeah. the whole movie every time Muriel like breathes, she's <laughs> like, "Close your fucking mouth." It's just horrible. And so it's like they're getting off on like pushing her down. And I did think to myself, which is a horrible thought, but I thought to myself, "Ah, oh, this is this is surprising because normally people this awful love to have a person like Muriel around." Because it's constantly a person to make you feel better about yourself, and it's constantly a person you mm. you have an insurance policy on there being a butt of the joke in any situation. Oh. You know what I mean? Like that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, there's yeah, always I mean, um, like a lot of times with with mean girls or whatever in stories or I guess even in real life they like to have someone around to constantly shit on. That's, that's and maybe they're point. banking on the maybe one of the other ones they're banking on. Somebody's got to take that spot in a group of like toxic friends like this. There has to be a person, <laughs> you know, that everybody is belittling or just talking shit about behind their back. So, yeah. so it's a really it's a horrible moment. It's where you know they explain to her they're going on this girl's trip to Hibiscus Island to get over the the infidelity of their newly married friend that her husband's already fucked somebody else. They're like, we're gonna take this trip to Hibiscus Island. We're gonna turn up. That's when Muriel sort of gets all hyped about it with her broke ass, and they're like, no, 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 mama. Like you're not gonna be coming on this trip. You're garbage. You're not in the group anymore. Get with the program. And Muriel breaks down, and it is fucking uncomfortable. Oh, and that, it's it makes me so sad. Peak. It's so sad. It's it's just, it's, you know, and in her mind, I'm sure she's so comfortable and not, yeah, like comfortable and accustomed to being the punching bag that in this group, I'm sure she's like loving whatever, what's being created in this group Mm -hmm. and her role in it. And she's probably, a lot of times people find comfort in, in that type of a relationship, even if it's not good, it's like, they're still comfortable with that. They're comfortable in that pain. They're comfortable in being put down. I mean, it's an abusive relationship. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, like... it's one of the things... Sorry, I didn't mean to... No, no, you're right. It's it's conditioning over time. And I mean, these girls have been her friends since they were in, you know, high school. It's grade school. It seems like that's the vibe I get from this movie, that these... They've yeah, all known each other for so long. For, that she's probably years, so comfortable as the punching bag, you know, that... Well, I also think, like, if you think about the role that she takes on within her family, too, like, with her father... Mm-hmm. He is horrible to her, and he's a punching bag to her, too. And so that is how Muriel kind of experiences love at home, which makes sense that she would go out and find something similar to that within, like, this group of friends when she doesn't know that she doesn't have to be treated like that. And I also think, like, 
she really likes being aligned with these quote unquote popular girls because I mean, unfortunately, I don't think Muriel is that different from her father in that it's really important for her to feel like she's a part of something larger or recognizable or, you know, famous in some ways. And within this small town of Porpoise Spit, which is what this fictional town is called, these are the popular girls and she wants to be aligned with that and you see that within her father wanting to be aligned with you know these politicians and these quote-unquote locally famous people and you see that further down in the movie him really you know recounting these stories and making himself feel bigger because he's been recognized by these people and i think muriel has some of that in her which is why she's drawn to this group of friends I think that's a pretty keen observation. I think that, you know, there's a mirror image there. And I think also what what sort of uh, comes next is them taking this trip and then Muriel deciding I'm going to go on the trip, you know, regardless. You told me you don't want me there. I'm still going to be there, though, girl. And, Which is uh, like, is so hilarious to me. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, it's like really sad. It, it is very sad, but for like, there is like a lot of comedy in this movie too. And so to me, like, I don't know if you notice, like, or if you have something to say about the moment when they realize she's on, she's at Hibiscus Island too, and they walk up to her and she like pretends she doesn't see them is so bold to me. Oh, yeah. No, she does like, she does a quick look away. And then she, you know, like she's gazing and then they just pop up in her line of sight and she's like, oh, hey, oh, y'all were coming here. That's right. Um, it's like your it's, presence has been made, sweetie. Like It's also like you were literally sitting across the pool and gawking at them. So you've been made. Um, you've been made. And like, it's cute to pretend that you've stumbled upon the same vacation, which you know that they're going on, which you have been unceremoniously asked to not join. Like, it's just so ridiculous it's it's wild and there there's a thing in this i i think we, we find out that muriel's mother had given her a blank check to get the makeup supplies that she needed for her new job working for deidre and mm-hmm. um she uses the blank check to go to fund this vacation and i think that that sort of speaks to also though like the underlying lack of respect for like her father as well though because it's like you know she doesn't say much i mean her father sort of like berates her and she just takes it for the most part but but mm-hmm. I think in the ease with which she does this, I mean, that is your answer as far as like, because we do find out that Muriel is a person who, when given respect, does reciprocate that respect. And it, and when shown loyalty, does show loyalty, does show loyalty in kind as well. So I think that I think that this is her way of sort of saying, you know, giving her father the middle finger, um, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. by taking that money and sort of. But it is it's so funny because Muriel in many ways is the opposite of me in terms of like the way she navigates authority and a part of that also obviously is because of you know the authority figures in her life but it's like Muriel does things that like for me I'm like oh my god I can't believe she did that like Mm -hmm. Muriel taking that money taking the thousands of dollars from her father's account is just like mind-blowing me because I would be so terrified but the level of respect and love that is shared for me and my mother obviously like is a huge indicator I mean this comes from like 
a, a lot of this has to do with the life that she's led and like you know the verbal abuse that she has endured like there's ties that have been severed regardless you know mm-hmm. over the years but it is like there's that moment when you realize that Muriel has spent thousands of dollars on this vacation and it is like <laughs> it's cringe it's like oh shit and I'm and it's also it's just it's a fundamental difference in the way that that we think about the world because to me I am a person who thinks about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And Muriel is like legit thinking about right now in this moment. I want to mm-hmm. do this thing. What am I going to have to do to make this happen? Totally. And Muriel was like, let She's me go ahead not and get my hands on this, this coin real quick to Well, to fund also, this she doesn't only take money to fund this vacation. She steals $12,000. Well, it's and like they mentioned like entire savings. And they mentioned it was 3000 right? They mentioned that the vacation... The vacation point, itself was a $3,000 vacation. So it's like, where did the other money go? Where did the other 9000 I mean, she took it to move to Sydney and to start a new life there. And she probably lived off of it for a while, I'm sure. That's a good and point. And, like, yeah. So, it's like, it, it, I'm, I'm sure she blew through it. I mean, she had, who knows I mean, how good going she to these resorts, money, paying but... for alcohol and food and that kind of thing. I mean, it can add up. And it's not really clear how long she was there. But even still, setting up your life in Sydney and trying oh, to find no. a job. Like, we don't know how long that took. Oh, you know for what sure. I mean? Like, she could blow through that money for sure. I know I could blow through $9,000 pretty quickly. <laughs> So she, Give me a chance. you know, so she, she's there. She meets a friend that sort of was an acquaintance in high school, Rhonda mm-hmm. and her and Rhonda take up together and they become friends. And I, I feel like Rhonda teaches her a little bit quickly about self-respect and yeah. also about sort of just like the girls from Porpoise Pit that are there very quickly. Rhonda gives them the finger and her and Muriel become besties. And so, you know, you see her in this world, you see her have her first like the first person to show her kindness. Yeah, and it's really nice to see the first person also who she genuinely has fun with. And you see her when they do their their lip syncing to Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And that is the first time in this whole movie that you see Muriel genuinely enjoying herself. You see like a real smile on her face. She and Rhonda are genuinely doing something that is just fun for them. And that's really nice to see because up until this point, you just feel like, God, everything feels just like painful. It is. It's really like uncomfortable and it's painful in a much more human way. It's painful in a very quiet uh, way, which is a lot of times a little bit more insidious. Like it's, I don't know. It's like penetrative. It's like, it's like a pain that everybody understands. Even if you haven't experienced it at this level, you still get it on mm-hmm. some micro level. Like this, like the the angst and like the voicelessness. Like you know mm-hmm. the way that she's made to feel small, the way that um, she's minimized, the way that her accomplishments are minimized, the way that she's belittled publicly. You know, it's all the time. All of those things. It's just these, it's constant. Her life is full of these microaggressions. Like and and it, you like watch her and you just like you you just want to scream at your television and be like tell that person they're an asshole or leave the table or throw a drink in that person's face like that person should not talk to you like that and you realize she just doesn't have the tools to realize that she's worth something and there is this line that she says that really like stabbed me in the heart every time I hear it and it's when the girls are telling her we don't want you to be a part of our group anymore Mm. And she breaks down, and the thing that she says is, I'm not nothing. And 
it's almost like she's telling the group that, but she's mostly telling herself that, which is like her one like shred of dignity that she can hold on to because literally they are making her feel like she's nothing. And at home, she feels like she's nothing. But there is a tiny part of her that still understands and knows that she isn't nothing. And so that is just a painful thing to hear and to have to plead and say to your friends, like, you shouldn't have to do that. No, no, you you shouldn't. And I, I agree with you. I think just that acknowledgement, that, that moment where it's like, I see you just like you are and I don't need you to pretend to be anything else. And we're going to like nurture that and we're going to, you know, we're going to let that grow. You know, mm-hmm. because nothing's been allowed to really grow in her. You know, it feels like all of a sudden, like, she's she, things are in color for her. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's great. We see her meet Rhonda. They have this really great moment. Then, like, a really wonderful scene. Muriel comes home. And she walks up the stairs and her mom, which I guess is an example of her mother trying to believe the best in her. Her mother's like, you know, Muriel, you know, somebody's taken $12,000 from your father's account. I tried to explain to them that I gave you the, the checkbook, but I know it wasn't you. He thinks it was you. And Muriel just like, it's such great acting on Toni Collette's part because oh, it she's is, so good she, it's just pitch perfect. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's so good. It's, I love, I love a good silent scene. Like it's a, her Absolutely. mother says that to her. They have this sort of not even standoff. It's like her mother's just waiting on her to confirm that like the things that, you know, like I, like I know that there's goodness within you. Like I, I need to know that this isn't, you know, and she sort of looks at her mom and then she just turns, she picks up her bags, and she walks out and she gets back in the cab that had dropped her off at the house and drives away. And she's just it's... looking at her mom out the window as she's driving away. And it's just like, oh, it is what it is, girl. It is what it, it is. is. You, you and I both know I did this. Is. Yeah. Don't make and you don't need it. me to confirm it because me tearing off in the middle, in the middle of the bright, sunny day is yeah. confirmation enough. <laughs> exactly. Like, let me, let me slip out. Um, also, I don't know why, and this is probably gonna g- get me drug. I thought it was. I'm. I'm gonna sound. I feel like I'm gonna sound privileged as fuck when I say this. Okay, well, but, this is a safe space. <laughs> um, talk to our 2.5 million fans that are listening right now, Jane. Um, fake it till you make it. Um, uh, do. I didn't think $12,000 was like a lot, like it's a lot of money, but I was surprised that that was the, that that was like everything. Like when her mom was like, you took $12,000, that's everything. That's just me probably. I mean, we're talking about a small town. I think, and I think I was surprised. We're talking about a small town. We're talking about, this was filmed in 1993. Yeah, you're right. At least in 94. Like that's a lot more money back then than it is now. Although, I'm going to need to check you and let you know that $12,000 is a lot of fucking money. I know <laughs> that $12,000... Oh, God. Here we go. I mean, for your life savings, yeah, if that's all you have to live off of at the end of your life, like, you may have... You're not going to make it a year. But, you know, maybe that's... that's... But that's also... That's money that you have in the bank that wasn't being touched. That's not the right. money that you're using to navigate through the world and to pay your mortgage and to pay, you know, right. your insurance that's... on your car and incidentals and things. For the most part, that is, like, mm-hmm. an amount of money that you have accumulated that, like, the hope is that you won't be really pulling from. 
And I guess when you've got like, you know, four children, several grown living at home and you're footing the bill for everybody as well, then that's really, yeah. I was just shocked. I think I was just something about hearing that was just really surprising for me. And it's probably because of the worlds that are normally built in movies. And also (laughs) in a lot of movies, like in a lot of movies, like numbers like that aren't thrown out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in most movies, Mm -hmm. it would have been, like, Mm $50,000. You know? Like, there's something about that, too, I think. But it was just interesting. And and also, like, when her father says, you know, I had to start taking... Which I didn't believe, by the way. It's that thing of, like... This is another acting moment. But I remember my one of my acting teachers would always say, like, just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. It's just something you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, just because it's in the script doesn't mean doesn't that it's a real that thing that you actually feel. Mm-hmm. You just said it, you know, and, and it opened up. It just was a really big aha moment for me, because I think up to that point, I had taken most of what a character spoke to be true. And it's like, no, characters lie all the time. Absolutely. Like, you know, like, like people in life lie all for the time. sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so um so all so that all happens and um she takes off she does what we want her to do which is go she finds Rhonda. you know they're now roommates they're flipping their full australian sydney 1993 fantasy it's a mm-hmm. it seems like a really fun life um, um muriel has the job that i've wanted ever since i understood that i had to have a job which is working at a video store yeah that, yeah I've i agree ever wanted and i never worked at a video store and now they don't exist anymore so no that would be um that would be a lot of that would be a lot of fun so they're in Sydney. It's really fun. They work across the street from each other. And um, this guy that she meets who comes into the store, who's really adorable. Such and a cutie, Bryce. He's such I a love cutie. Him. And they have this instant connection. Also, like, Miro's had clearly had a glow up. Um, mm-hmm. She's got a great haircut. Um, I mean, a quintessential and- 90s haircut that has, like, 60s vibes. I love it. Also, I will point out that, like, there's so many men in this movie that look like just legit just gay porn stars. There's the <laughs> cops that arrest Muriel and bring her home. When they first show up at the wedding to arrest her, I thought they were strippers. And I was oh like, my God. strippers here? And then I was like, oh, no, they're actually police officers. Okay. Um, and so then, like, there's a scene where Muriel's out. Uh, she goes out. Oh, my God. I can't. His name's escaping me, Janie. Bryce with Bryce. Bryce. She goes yeah. out with Bryce. Eric Bana apparently was up for this role. I, I read that. I thought that Did was you? so funny. And I'm glad it was the guy who it was because I feel like Eric Bana is like maybe. It would have been too, too much. It would have been too much. Like this guy is very adorable and like just he has such a In an approachable to him. sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, anyway, I yeah, you read it. You read it somewhere. I actually spoke with uh, PJ Hogan, the director of the movie. So I guess I got my information a little bit differently than you did. But um, <laughs> that's not taking anything away from your journey. But yeah, so Bryce uh, is adorable. And, mm-hmm. you know, she pulls him out with her and Rhonda for a night in the town. <laughs> and um, Rhonda's getting it. Rhonda is living her best life. <laughs> she is sandwiched between like a sailor and this like, or are they both sailors? I think they might be both sailors because there's like, like this. Yeah, she says they're Americans, and that's like very. They're really for adorable. Her. Two mm-hmm. two men who I under normal circumstances would have clocked as homosexuals, but mm-hmm. you know it is it's it is what it is. Everybody's just <laughs> loving everybody. Um, and they're they're in. She's in the middle of this freaky deaky sandwich on the dance floor, and they also <laughs> once again. And look like two porn stars and I'm like 
Rodden's about to get it in right now, and like, she's gonna have some fun tonight. Um, God, I hope my mom's not listening to this podcast. Just like, just wondering where she went wrong. Um, so they, so they go back home. There's a moment where, where you know, they run out of the room. Bryce is trying to get it in on like a uh, fucking one of those old school like uh, beanbag beanbag chairs, which is like two people. That's like my nightmare. Somebody trying to sit with me on a beanbag chair. And you know, it's just it's not. It's yeah, not but it. you're much like larger. You're like here we go. Very tall and bit like. Oh, no, you know I mean? shame me a little bit more. This is always like- this is what friends are for. <laughs> tell me, tell me about how big I am, Jane. Brandon, you know what I mean. <clears throat> you're perfect. First of all, you know you're the sexiest person I've ever met, and I'm not kidding about that. Oh, and. Thanks, Jane. Of course. And I just mean you're like a big dude. So, like, that would be an uncomfortable scenario. But you're, it very, would. you're, you're very tall. How tall are you? 6'3? Yeah. You just like, you just like, when you're that size, you take up more space. So, I imagine. Sharing... I'm actually 6'2, but I'm really comfortable with lying and saying that I'm 6'3. <laughs> so, I just exist in this alternate world. So, in real, so like, yeah, I just write it on shit sometimes. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, for all intents and purposes, I think I'm that I'm also, I, I think that I'm somewhere between 5'6 and 5'7, and I always lean on 5'7, but I don't know if I've quite hit 5'7. And I but, always, uh, well, you say hit like you're going to keep growing. No, but I mean, like, depending on, like, sh- the shoes that I have. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. on, like, government forms, I am forever 5'7. That's the height that I've given myself. But, I mean, when you, but I, mean, I don't when know you if like, it's entirely true. I feel like when you wear heels and stuff, there's a lot more room to, like, play around with numbers, you know? Well, yeah, but I don't fucking wear heels. Like, I would maybe wear, like, I haven't, I do not wear heels. I don't like being uncomfortable, but. I've seen I mean, you in, like, a little kitty cat here and there. No, I've never worn a kitten heel, but I might wear, like, boots with, like, a larger, like a, you know, maybe I, I would wear a wedge. I would maybe dabble in a wedge or um, I have some, like, platformy boots, but I'm not wearing a sledo. All right, we'll see. So, so there's a we find out uh, quickly after this whole debacle that Rhonda actually has a cancerous tumor that has to be removed and needs to use a wheelchair to to get around. And Rhonda's mom calls her and is like, "Will will you come home?" And Rhonda's like, "No, I'm staying here with Muriel and she's taking care of me." And you know, again, this is just a movie. This is a glimpse of what you know. We see yeah. the things that move the story forward. You but weren't in the hospital we with them. Un- no, I was not. But I think what I understand is that um, you know, Rhonda sort of assumes like, okay, well, this is our new normal. We're staying where we are, and this is what's going. You know, this is what's going on. And Muriel, Muriel is kind of thinking, and in a way, it is. There is a selfishness to it, like. This is going to affect my life in a way that, like, is probably going to be a hindrance to me achieving my goals. And Muriel's largest goal is to be someone's bride. I think in that moment, and again, it's not, you know, she doesn't say anything. And that's the thing about Muriel, too, in this wedding, in this movie, is that, like, you interpret so much from her face because there is, I think, and to Tony Collette's credit, there is so much that you see flash across her face. And it's up to me to interpret and it's up to you to interpret what that actually means because she doesn't always say it. And also, I think that's why she goes to those personal ads and tries to find somebody that way because she and I don't think she's I I don't think that she's planning on like abandoning Rhonda I think what she's doing is like 
we've got to secure like we've got to make sure that if this is our situation i'm securing my own you know my own future as well Okay. I mean, I, I'll give you that. I think that also it's probably, I mean, this is one of those moments. I mean, all of this sort of transpires. There's a, a moment where um, Rhonda finds a photo album full of all these photos of Muriel mm. in various wedding dresses, all, you know, decked out in 90s wedding dress accoutrement as well. And we've, <laughs> and Muriel's sort of been going to all of these different, you know, wedding shops in Sydney, giving them different versions of a sob story. You know, there's a moment also, which is really funny to me, where she's at like this fancy schmancy wedding boutique. And she says, you know, she gives them the story, I believe, about her mother being, um, her mother having passed away, I think. No, oh, no, no, no. Her mother's, her mother's in the hospital. Her mother's in the hospital. It's basically the same story about Rhonda, but she says it's her mother. Yeah, she says, like, my mother's in the hospital, so she can't be here with me. And the woman says, we don't normally do this, but... And then she goes and pulls out a Polaroid camera and takes a photo of her. And I, like, turned to Dave and I was like, is this, like, supposed to be the royal treatment? Like, you taking a picture for her to take with her? Like, these people spend thousands of dollars on these wedding dresses. Like, the least you can do is take a photo and, like, give it to them. Oh, but Brandon, there are boutiques who do not let you photograph. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just assumed that... That's crazy to me. Yeah. I would not buy a dress at a place that did not let me take a photo in the dress. So one of my favorite stories is um, <laughs> my friend Debbie, who I've not seen in a long time, and I know her through Patrick. When her oh, Jane's when got she lots was, of friends. Oh, <laughs> keep bragging. When she um, got married, she was trying on wedding dresses, and. Um, she went to a boutique and wouldn't let her photograph it, right? And so she gave her mom an iPad, you know, like a large mm-hmm. iPad. And she was like, bring this in and try to sneak a picture of me. And if they ask you what you're doing, just tell them you're working. And so I guess her mom, like, her mom was, like, very, like, not so subtly taking photographs, like, holding up the iPad just like a camera. And they were like, um, no pictures. And she's like, don't worry about it. I'm working. <laughs> It was, like, very clear that she was taking photographs. So, That's funny. Yeah. Um, I guess I hope... you can't take it and, like, go to some designer or something and have them exactly. make it for you. It's that. It, they don't want you to find the exact same dress in another store for a cheaper price. Like, there's a lot of competition within, That's like... That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah, I just would think that that was, like... Of course. I mean, when I got married, I took photos in my and poured over them. Um, oh my god, me too. I took when I found my wedding dress, I took a million pictures of it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I need a photo. Back. I need that. I need. Me I would too. need that you with me to like be able to make a decision. It's a expensive. huge purchase. It's yeah, very expensive. No matter what kind bit. of wedding dress you buy, it's going to be expensive. Also, so I'm gonna take a photo in the in the fitting room anyway. So whatever, mm-hmm. I'm getting mm-hmm. my pick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's that moment. I thought it was I thought it was interesting how upset. Although now talking of you it makes more sense ron is really upset with muriel about you know the photo album really i thought oh i would be like oh my friend's sort of in some sort of turmoil but you know muriel's (laughs) obviously crazy (laughs) yeah although you know clearly um you know muriel has made up many lies she's told Rhonda about this boyfriend that was clearly made up and Rhonda believed her so when she sees all the photos tim sims named tim sims so when she sees her she's like oh my god she's gonna get married to this tim guy who she's told me about before you know and there's this sort of moment between the two of them where muriel has to admit like there's no tim like i'm i'm just you know i'm I'm lost and confused and this makes me feel good. Like I get to live in this world. Like this is the only thing that I want. 
It's so Which it's, is, yeah, it's so interesting too because Muriel's like twenty two years old, and it's just like it's like yeah. But if you think about the timing, and I think about like just also I have the experience of growing up as a woman, and I mean the idea of getting married as a woman, and I am grateful that it was not necessarily beat into me quite as much. Um, just because, you know, there was a larger expectation from, you know, my parents and family. But certainly, and this is, you know, in 1995, 1994, whenever, um, you know, one of the largest achievements you can make as a woman is getting married. I mean, people up until very recently, people considered that to be a huge achievement for women. Mm -hmm. And that like... And still do, yeah. And still still do, absolutely. But like, if you feel terrible and you feel horrible about yourself and you, you are taught to believe that that is the one thing that gives you value, that someone, that a man chooses you and that is the thing that i think we're always taught that like Mm -hmm. you know particularly as young girls and again this makes more sense in 1995 than it does today but like a man choosing you is an accomplishment yeah no i i know i i I get that 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 makes sense and also for her it's like her only way out you know in her mind Mm -hmm. too for a long time especially when she was back in porpoise pit like that's like really i want to clock you you because you keep calling it porpoise pit and it's porpoise spit literally just spit all over the computer. Is it really Porpoise spit? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my bad. The look that Brandon gave me literally made me spit out some water on my computer. I was trying to process that. That's a (laughs) vile name. Um, Porpoise pit is bad enough because said together it sounds like Porpoise spit anyway. But But also Porpoise pit sounds like a a dolphin grave. (laughs) I mean, that's better than like... That icky icky from a porpoise, although you know, um, but yeah. So there's that moment, and then yeah, she quickly she finds in the wanted ad this this uh, a person in need of a wife, and she finds out that it's a South African athlete who's who wants to take compete. That, take that again. I want to hear that again. She she finds out. No, oh, by the way, no problem. With pleasure. She finds out that there's a South African um, swimmer who wants to compete in the Olympics. Who wants to compete? Wait, in the I want to do mine because I think. I think it's I think it's better. Okay, well I'll I'll decide. I'll and, be the judge. All right. Well, you're never gonna give it to me, but <clears throat> correct. South Africa. South Africa. South Africa. South Africa. South Africa. I'm so sorry for everyone who has now turned off their podcast. <laughs> no, turn it back on. Turn it back on. You're gonna miss. You're gonna miss the judge of all judges, one Ms. Charlize Theron, who's gonna be joining us in about uh, a couple minutes. Um, <laughs> she so, will be joining our Zoom conversation. <laughs> exactly, as a South African, she can and speak she will on be it. the judge of our South African. Um, yeah, of anything, all things South Africa. Which is what the podcast, which is what we're veering towards the podcast. Um, so <laughs> she gets this like South African athlete who needs like a bride to be able to like stay in Sydney and to be able to compete in the Olympics. And he's like giving her so much attitude. He's, he's so, so, first of all, we should rude. mention he's, he's, he gets out of the pool. He's physically beautiful and he's like, 
he sits down, he meets Mural for the first time. And literally, he continues the tradition of everyone being so fucking outwardly rude to Muriel for no reason. It's, it's so inappropriate, especially because n- nobody in this movie really has needed her as much as he does, Mm-mm. given his situation. So it's like, but he also says in front of her, what about the blonde one? Like, yeah. meaning that there was another woman who I guess was interested in also in marrying him. He, and he also says, what about the dark haired one? Like, he is willing. He, like, like, there are multiples that he is like, he would rather, <laughs> multiple paths he would rather take. But also, then, this doesn't phase Muriel, Muriel in the slightest. Oh no. Because she is grinning like a motherfucker. <laughs> like, because she's used to being disrespected. I know. So like, poor thing. She's just like, whatever. And he's scowling at her. And so, you know, obviously, <laughs> Muriel, you know, she ends up sort of, in a way. Sorry, at, this, wet. at this point, she's changed her name to Mariel. Oh, that's right. Is, Mariel, which yeah. I think is funny because it's it, nothing. Well, it's hilarious because you've changed one letter of your name. That's what I mean when I say it's nothing. Thing. It's like it's <laughs> such an insignificant change. It's a it's a change that is more problematic than if she was to just change her name to Sheila. <laughs> right, that's the whole thing. It's like, like choose an entirely different name, but it also says it, it speaks to her character a little bit. Where for she's sure. like, she's like, I don't want to be an entirely different person. I want to <laughs> be an idealized version of no. myself. Yeah, I just want to. That's a really good point, Jane. That's a very astute <laughs> observation. It is. It's just I just want to be like I really just want to be Muriel two I just exactly. want to like be a slightly elevated version, and I want there to be enough of a difference that you have to acknowledge it. Exactly, like, and so that's yeah. why she chooses Mariel, which, which is, is the great. Same fucking name. It's like last year I was going by Brandon for a while. Oh, um, and what are you going by now? I'm back. Ba- well, I'm sorry. I was going by Brendan for a while, and now oh. I'm. <laughs> Did you I'm mix it up and not realize that your name is? I, oh, Brandon. I legit mix it up. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then in that moment, I was in. I, I was, was like, in the your Matrix name is for a second. <laughs> I was in the Matrix for half a second when you said, "What are you going by now?" And I was like, Ugh. "I like I lost in my own joke." Um, I was like, Ugh, "I don't know." Panic. Um, <laughs> having to remember what my name is. Also, one more complete side note. One time mm-hmm. I was. At a pizza shop in Santa Fe and I was there with a friend of mine whose name is Brendan and it was a group of us and everybody was ordering their own like personalized pizzas and you know you have to give them their name at the counter when you order and everybody's sort of going through one by one and Brendan was right in front of me and so Brendan gets up to the counter and the guy takes his his order and then he says, what's your name? And he says, Brendan. And he says, oh, Brendan, I love that name. That's a, that's a great name. I hate the name Brandon. Literally, I swear to God, that's what he says. I hate the name Brandon. And then Brendan sort of looks at me out of the corner of his eye and then just walks off. And then I get up to the counter and the guy takes my piece of order. And then he goes, oh, what's your name? And I go, Brandon. And he just gets this like, look on his face. Yeah, so... I mean, Muriel, you know, she's she has this wedding. She invites all of these awful girls to be her bridesmaids in the wedding. Like, these people that treated her like shit. And it's like, it's one of those things that it's like, in the moment, I was like, oh, I don't get this. And I was like, I totally get this. But, like, I, but I don't it, like but I it. Hate but I hate it. I hate oh, yeah, it. It's awful. it's awful. And they're, of course, now that she, you know, sh- she has some value to them now in this moment because she's with this really... Although I did have... I that That's just like thanks to Dave because I legit had to ask him like why do they why are they all of a sudden just because she's getting married and he was like well no this guy's like a big deal who she's married he's that's famous. why he's yeah. famous and so it's like okay so that helped to understand how that would somehow garner favor 
ever with them. Um, and we've got, you know, Rhonda here with her mom and her mom doesn't seem awful. She just seems like a little overbearing and yeah, she doesn't seem like a bad person. We don't get a lot of insight, but there's obviously frustration. Oh, intention. Rhonda's end, like towards her mother for sure. And like her mom clearly doesn't understand why Rhonda is so upset about this whole wedding. Yeah, and so yeah, that's a frustration for Rhonda for sure. But also, that's also evidence of the fact that she doesn't know Rhonda, you know. Right. Um, and then you know, Muriel's mom has to hoof it in a cab. Oh, this is uh, so mean. It's this awful. Like my heart. she shows so- up to the wedding in a cab she's like sort of sequestered in the back row she's also late like they didn't even wait for her to start oh no the they didn't wait for her um there's like there's the moment where muriel's walking out of the the chapel and like her mom like she doesn't even see her mom she doesn't see her she like it's turns like she's her invisible head. and also i don't know if you clocked but like um when David Van Ackle, her new husband, mm-hmm. um, when he is like, when they're like, what is it called? The recession when they're leaving after they've gotten married? The procession, yeah. <laughs> is it it's, procession? It's procession. You had a 2008 <laughs> flashback. Um, whatever it's called and like what's funny is that I was literally in a wedding this weekend and we referred to both of these things and I don't remember what they're called but um it was when she was walking back from the altar and um David Van Ackle is being um introduced to Muriel's father Mr. Heslop the first for the first time he like shakes his hand he's like Nice to meet you, Mr. Hesloff. And then Deirdre, who he's left his wife for, is with him. And he refers to her as Mrs. Heslop. And it's such, like, a kick in the nuts, that moment, to um, Muriel's mother. And just, like... Oh, well, also, I clocked the fact that, like, none of her awful siblings were there either. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. No, none of her siblings were there. And I was like, I love that, like, we left the entire family, like out of the loop you know (laughs) and it seemed like one of those situations where like the mom probably just saw it in a newspaper you know what i mean like a wedding announcement like i bet nobody even like even called her up you know left a message on the machine no (laughs) ring-a-ling no hey betty there's a wedding going on this weekend you may have heard of her her name is mariel (laughs) yeah awful name Um, and like the whole the whole thing is such a sham but Muriel's like really happy and when she walks down the aisle she does she does that classic Muriel or I guess now Mariel um grin where like everyone is kind of like I don't know if you notice this but everyone is like sort of like scowling at her and she yeah there's like be phased in the slightest yeah she is she's used to it this punch yeah she's just walking down the aisle like this is what i have always is she really played. getting is that that abba song that's playing is that what she's legit walking down the aisle walking to? down the aisle too yeah it's and that's I, what the grimace I, is right like i mean i took it that the grimace was sort of on people's faces was a little bit like i uh, well i took i took that to mean that they were confused about the whole ordeal who why is this guy marrying our hometown loser Muriel and and why is she playing this Abba song and you know I thought it was just you know all wrapped up into the whole package yeah. of hating Muriel the poor fucking dear who just although it's really funny because her. as she's walking out of the wedding everybody's like smiling at her and like I know. loving it there was like a couple people who I clocked when she was walking in who were 
it took everything in the not to vomit into their hands um, <laughs> at the so sight of her. Horrible. And then when she was like walking out, it's like they're the first ones throwing rice. Like they yeah, couldn't be, you know. It, well, it shows you how like fucked up people are too because it's like they only care about her now that she's married to like some. Oh, for sure. Guy. Yeah. So that all happened. And then um, there's like the moment her husband, they're leaving her husband. Also, when he kisses the bride, her husband kisses her on the cheek. Yeah. That's really uh, which sad. is so disrespectful. Um, <laughs> Also, it's like Muriel's like a lovely girl. Like, regardless she of how is. you feel about her, like, also the whole the whole point of this is optics. So it's like get get with the game, baby boy. I know, like, exactly. you're like you're trying to convince people that like you are here and it, and you are not here under like nefarious like circumstances. So like the best way to do that is to lean into this whole fantasy. And um, he's phoning it in. From he's so mad at taking everything in him not to punch her. <laughs> um, the only like the person who's helping you be able to achieve your dreams. Whatever. So all that, and then you know, then we've got yeah, Muriel's mom in the store. Those those dogs are barking, and she is like, you know what, these cute little sandals. I'm gonna I'm gonna go and switch them out real quick. And Diane, of course, always in the fucking mix. Like, also Diane must go to them sometimes, and like to report the thefts that are happening. You know, her job is loss prevention expert everywhere, (laughs) and there must be sometimes where they're like, no, she paid for those, you fucking idiot. Like, get out of here. You're clogging up our lines with all of your like. (laughs) theories on who's stealing what girl she brought those jellies with her sis she brought those jellies with her get out of here scram and so we hate diane diane's awful and you know they take they take uh miss heslop miss heslop heslop mrs heslop we take mrs heslop Mm-hmm. to the slammer um her husband pulls whatever remaining like tenuous bare threaded strings that he has <laughs> and to get her out and brings her home and that's when he packs up his suitcase and he's already been fucking Deidre and staying with her away from well, the family i do want to say there's two moments that i want to mention First of all, we can we can circle back to the actually well, since we're talking about the mother being arrested, we'll talk about this one first. But the moment when he picks her up in the car and he's taking Mrs. Heslop home from the police station, and he's such a fucking prick and he has no like empathy for anybody and she's trying to explain to him like she's like i meant to pay like it was all a misunderstanding. And then she takes a breath and she tries to appeal to him and have this moment with him and she's like i need help around the house and he what he does is says nothing and turns on the car radio to drive her out and it is just the most like it's the final nail in the coffin for how much of a fucking asshole this guy is and how much he it only cares about himself and blames everybody else for every wrong thing that goes on in her life and it it, it just again really cements him as being you know just the shittiest fucking person in this movie yeah no he's awful it's a it's a horrible moment and you know and that's awful and then her mom ends up taking her own life which they try and cover up by saying she had a heart attack and you know muriel is you know pulled away from her her lap of luxury her lap of 90s early 90s luxury Mm -hmm. um in her apartment and you know she has to come back for the funeral 
and you know there's all this like shitty like conversation around her mother like Deidre's like cleaning the house up and her Deidre says like you know she's glad that her life amounted to something and you know that the judge will probably be lenient on her father because obviously there's all this hubbub about him you know his payola schemes that he has going on in town and they're hoping that the you know the bribery charges and all that maybe he'll get like a lenient sentence now that he's like a widower and his wife has died of this alleged heart attack and yeah it's so tone deaf it's so horrible it's, and she says it i think to muriel doesn't she oh yeah no no she's talking to her yeah she says she'll, she'll she'd be glad in the end her life amounted to something as if yeah. her life didn't mean anything and it's so it's just the way that people write her mother off they write muriel off in the same way it's very gross yeah it's all really horrible and i don't really feel bad for any of these kids though because it's just like they're all honestly just waste of space at this point i mean they never um, had a chance honestly with they didn't though. and it's also like but i also just find myself so curious about what their upbringing was and what their lives were that like this is sort of like the what we're left with because it's like it looks like her brother hasn't gotten out from the couch since the mother died no. he's in the same seat he's been in for like the whole movie and he's um, just sweaty as yeah and it's just like it's ridiculous and you know and then also like out of all this grief there comes this moment where you know she's leaving the funeral the funeral's horrible. Her father is, you know, <sighs> still clocking for reporters and stuff, trying to sort of posture and make himself seem like he's something more than what he is, even at his wife's funeral. And well, Muriel... he, well, he, what he does is he calls a former prime minister's office, and the f- former prime minister sends a telegram sending his condolences to the family. Like he basically, like Bill Heslop basically calls and asks for it, and then has the priest read it in the funeral. And he, like, has the son be like, pay attention because, you know, the reporter's going to write this down. And, like, see, I'm still somebody. These the people, there are people around who don't forget me. And it's like, he never misses an opportunity to make everything. Oh, yeah. To him. flip it all around and make it about him. Exactly. And it's just, it's an awful moment. And, you know, Muriel ends up, you know, her, her hubby. He, he shows up, and while he can't bring himself to actually attend the funeral like a decent human being, he is outside, and so, um, you know, he pities Muriel and her situation and her plight and, you know, decides to show her some kindness, and they end up, you know, smashing, you know, which I, I gathered do- would have been... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I did want to bring up a point that it was right after the wedding, right mm-hmm. after Muriel and David Van Ackle got married. Mm-hmm. And he brings her back to um, his condo. And he lives in a very, you know, fancy, as you mentioned, 90s condo. And he's showing her the place and he's like, this is the pool. This is the bedroom or this is your bedroom. This is my bedroom. And then at one point he turns to her and he says, it wasn't all about the money, was it? And she sort of casts her eyes down and shakes her head no. And he says, what kind of person marries somebody that they don't know? And she goes, well, you did. And he says, I want to win. All my life I've wanted to win. And she says, me too. And to me, that's such a poignant moment between the two of them because I see that as him sort of at least getting a glimpse 
of who Muriel is, which he's never taken the opportunity to try to figure out who she is. And I think he's trying to say to her, sorry, she's trying to say to him, like, this is, you know, this is your Olympics is swimming. And mine is marrying a person like you. And like, Mm -hmm. to me, that is winning. And to me, that is the most important thing. And so I think that is like his first sort of like, if his eyes were entirely shut to who she is or why she did this, they've sort of opened a, a little bit you know a slit of his eyes has opened a little bit and i'm really sorry that i used the word slit no you you loved it i will say also in that same scene when he's walking around the apartment he does point out he does say like the only thing you can't touch are the weights and mm-hmm. i thought that was an insane thing to say because <laughs> it was like what was happens if you touch them like are they no longer usable the, those exactly. large pieces of like molded metal no no nobody else can touch them you made a deal with somebody <laughs> um a weird thing to call out you yeah of all the things the it's way. like you could have picked any number of things like don't go in my bedroom or like anything right. but it was like don't like, don't, don't touch my weights medicine cabinet or whatever. right i'll try <laughs> try to avoid it um but all that you know and you know her mother at her mother's funeral they end up having sex and then you know parting ways or whatever and it seems like there's this moment for muriel of i think um sort of the emperor the emperor has no clothes like it's like a little Mm -hmm. bit of like it seems to be a little bit of of a taste of the thing that you thought was sort of like you know but also i know that you know there's moments where muriel being back home i think she's starting looking through photo albums that the realization of you know how sad her mother's life ended up being and like what you sort of what comes out of being in like a marriage to a person who does not see you as an equal and like value you in the same way that you value them and like that sort of you know Mm -hmm. that slow sort of descent you know into you know uh any loss of any sort of sense of like autonomy like i think Mm -hmm. that like muriel's mother really did sort of you know lose herself in trying to be a good mother and a good wife to like a you know thankless husband and like ungrateful children and i think that muriel sort of sees the writing on the wall for herself you know in sort of taking that moment to investigate the life of her mother you know, I think she starts mm-hmm. to see that. And I think that's the realization that she has of like, I can't be with you. Like, this is what I thought yeah. I wanted. And this is what I thought happiness looked like. And I'm here and I've gotten the thing that was that was what I had to have and what made it all worth it. And I got it on a, in a, on a level that like I couldn't have fathomed. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not only married, but I'm married not to like the guy who works at the used car dealership in porpoise spit mm-hmm. i'm married to like a person who is like adored by millions of people and like super fit and i guess for white people handsome um and so like <laughs> this is like handsome? i think he's no. gorgeous no no, no. and i thought right. that like i thought that it was just it was really it was really um it was really nice to see her sort of make a decision f- like a decision for herself and she wasn't running away from anything you know yeah. it's the first time she's not really running like she she runs away from Rhonda. she marries him she leaves Rhonda there it seems like if anything's really the shitty about that situation it seems like she leaves Rhonda with little to no warning and Rhonda sort of says like my mom had to come you know my mom had to come get me and i think that like 
she runs away from home, obviously, after stealing that money. So I feel like Muriel spent so much of this movie, like, leaving quickly. Um, and there's been, like, it's been tinged with a little bit of shame. And I think this is one of the first times in Muriel's life that she has two very hard conversations. She has the conversation with her father, with her, which comes to conversation with her husband after they fuck, where she's like, that was cute. I'm going to go get some more dick from, like, you know, people that deserve it. <laughs> so she gives them the deuce. And they leave on sort of this term, the terms of, like, they, a mutual respect. They see each other finally. Yeah. And, like, well, he got what something. he wanted. Yeah, well, I, I think it's, I think she says something to him that really sort of kickstarts this, like, revolution for her. And I do think you're right. She's sort of taking into account her mother's life and how it didn't mean a lot to a lot of people, which mm-hmm. is very heartbreaking. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that, like, she really wants from her own life. Mm-hmm. And... The thing that she says to David Van Ackle, I love saying his name like that, um, is that she goes, she says something like, it's time to stop lying. Mm-hmm. And from that point in the movie, she has literally lied to every single person yeah. she's met. I mean, she's lied to Rhonda, she's lied to her family, she's lied to her siblings, she's lied to every single person she's come across. And she has built this this quote-unquote new life, but it's not real because it's all based on lies. And so she's really realizing, okay, I literally have to go and, like, rip off the Band-Aid and, like, I hate this. I mean, I hate this expression, but uh, you know, it works. Is like I have to live my truth, and that means that I have to go and pay penance for the things that I've done. And so she gives her father back some of the money, and she goes back and she goes to get Rhonda because she knows that is the person that she does not deserve that treatment that she gave her. And I think that that's really nice, where she's sort of confronting herself. Don't jump ahead of me. I was about to get to all that. Oh, sorry. So I was, you're right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that also though, I was going to say that a part of why I feel like, I feel like she is in a way sort of, it's because her life was full of so much you know, pain. Mm-hmm. So it was her coping. It was how, I mean, so she got through having a group of, you know, her closest friends treat her like shit. Her father treat her like shit. Her mother do little to really be any sort of like support for her. These awful siblings. So she had nothing really. So all she had was her, her daydreams and her fantasies to hold on to. That was her comfort. You know, that mm-hmm. was her security blanket. So, I mean, in order to deal with some hard truths in the reality of the world, she has to let go of some of that. But I think it like, I think that those lies served a very, a very like specific purpose for her mm-hmm. um and i think they were really necessary i mean i think that in in households especially where people deal with trauma i think that sometimes you have to find those those safe places and i think that sometimes it's the recesses of your mind and so i think that that's really what was at play there but i mean i think that at this point too it's but it's also her sort of you know for lack of a better term putting on her big girl <laughs> pants and like really sort of like saying like i'm gonna i'm gonna figure out whatever this is and i I'm going to deal with the the good and the bad and the ugly on my own terms, you know, but I'm going to do it as me. And I think that that moment with her, you know, her husband, where she sort of ends it and then going to her father and, you know, and I love like them standing on sort of like scorched earth, you know, in the backyard, it's all burned as, you know, her dad once again tries to hot potato his responsibilities onto somebody else. Her mother's gone and he's like, okay, now you're going to have to take care of the kids. It's like, no, no, boo boo. First of all, you got two grown ass people living in this house who haven't been doing anything 
okay? <laughs> Joni and the gross brother, those are both grown ass <laughs> adults. Like they can take care of the of the young is there one or two more? How many more is there? It's unclear I how many think, kids there are. I, I saw a whole ass kid when they came back after her mom died. There was a whole ass new child I had not seen at any other point in that movie. There is there's a younger daughter we don't see a lot of. Penelope. Is, is it like the one who looks like she's maybe like 12, 13? Blonde, yeah. She's and then there's in, so it's just and the then four of them. Joni and Perry. So yeah, it's it's the four of them. And I okay. Think, no, uh, I was gonna say I think no, I was gonna say Joni and Perry are adults. Oh, fully, fully, yeah. 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 So it's like so. <laughs> so you want me to stay here and take care of two grown ass adults and the and the little girl too? No, 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 no. I literally I yelled nope when he said that to her. I was like, she better fucking not. She better fucking not and she did and she said nope and it's also so funny because i love his reaction which is like he just cowers he just cowers because it's like that's because it's like finally somebody has looked at you and you know told the truth and shamed the devil and just said (laughs) no sir Uh, your responsibility now not mine these are your children these are your kids i love and and the people always do shit somebody i saw this online the other day i saw this on ig the other day because you know (laughs) i'm a i'm a fiend for a meme it wasn't a meme it was actually it was actually just like i don't know what they're called like it's not even an inspirational quote but somebody said people really people really get pissed off when you stop letting them use you and I thought, so like, true. and I thought it's so true. Like, when people become accustomed to, like, the, you know, treating you a certain way. And I think that for her father, it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, oh. it's like, and he instantly, like, he cowered. He, he cowered when she, she says it. she doesn't even say it very forcefully. She's no. not used to she her just says, nah, asserting, I'm good. asserting herself. And she goes, dad, you have to take care of these kids. You like, have to take care yeah, of like, you. Also, we need to. They children. kept saying these kids. They kept saying these kids, <laughs> your children. I was like, are they talking about those two big ass adults that are just chilling at the house? <laughs> those sweaty ass adults who need to I'm get sh- jobs. Shocked. Shocked and confused. <laughs> like nobody's moved from that house since like 1989. Like, I'll tell you one thing that would not be my family. You need like to Perry pay and Johnny? Get the hell out. Perry and Johnny? <laughs> y'all need to y'all need to get a job y'all gotta go into the local amp or something like <laughs> those two what, i also i'm like i think perry might be older than mary yeah he looked it yeah um and so we got one kid we got one kid in this whole family and all y'all adults need to figure out a way to help her out take care of her but no 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 and she gives him you know she gets the ten thousand dollars for for you know taking for marrying the south african and she gives 5k to her dad and she's like you'll get you're gonna get the rest and in my head i was like she ain't giving me the rest of that money no happy with that 5k i've muriel has changed but no no, not the mirror line. No, you're not but gonna see not, that on the seven. Re- we're not reinventing the wheel here. She no, 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 no. This is maybe probably less. And I thought to myself, I was like, you ain't gonna see her again either. And she was like, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I'll be- in my twenties, who has made numerous promise promises to pay back my parents different sums of money <laughs> that they are still waiting for. Like, it's not gonna happen, baby. I what? The- I never, I never stole twelve thousand dollars from my parents. This fictional, this fictional fantasy though that they're living in where it's like yeah i want you like you need you probably need to believe that muriel's gonna call you in a couple months and be like i got that 7k for you pops 
but you know okay. just like your wife needed to believe that she was in a loving and, and healthy marriage where you were faithful to her so we all say what we say we say and we you know we put up with what we need to put up with to get through the night so muriel gives him the deuces and she goes and she gets ronda which is that great like for, you know it's such a great moment ronda's in this like all of muriel's gross friends are at ronda's house like just like inundating her with like just the babble the the dribble, endless like... babble and drivel that is their existence like it's all just so fucking pedestrian and just like bleak so muriel shows up and she's like she tells Rhonda, we're, we're getting out of here. And Rhonda's mom is shocked because she doesn't know her life is a dumpster fire and that anybody would want to leave it. So she gets this look on her face like, what? You don't want to you don't want to be sitting around in this beige living room with me for the rest of your life? No, girl. No, I'm done. And you need to be done, too. Um, so Muriel packs up, packs up not a thing. No, I know Muriel, that's one of the things. Like, she just like leaves and Rhonda a, has no bags. Not a thread. Not a thread of clothing. I don't know um, if she grabs a purse. She doesn't grab medicine that that may or may not be needed by Rhonda. She doesn't grab anything. Oh, yeah. She she's like fighting cancer. Like She's I feel still like trying she... to survive a disease that kills a lot of people. Like, <laughs> there must must be medication or something you would think um yeah no um muriel says we'll figure it all out <laughs> i've got that other 5k i pro and you know muriel probably stole some old boy's watches and some of his you know jewelry or something if she's a muriel i know her to be exactly and she's got I hope she is she's scrappy and anything that any jewelry or anything that was left at the house maybe she got her hands on <laughs> muriel's a hustler so yeah. they'll be fine and I they get in the back of that cab slipped a bracelet off of deirdre you know oh absolutely As grab those heart those gold heart earrings that deirdre was wearing shit she says about her mother yeah she'll yeah she'll get hers did also we didn't mention deirdre leaves the dad though too um he says that she left him after his because oh, she doesn't want to deal with all those kids shock yeah when she was going to marry him, they thought that the mom was going to be at the house taking care of those kids for the rest of her life. <laughs> and dude's um, like, I've done my time. Exactly. She's also, this guy is nothing. Like, so he, he offers awful. no, like, did you think, upward, did you see upward mobility when you gan <laughs> when you took a gander at him? Like, he is what he's going to be. Mm -hmm. So, they leave. Nice they good. leave. Um, they leave Porpoise Pit, which apparently um, PJ Hogan, who directed this film and wrote it, um, mm -hmm. he comes from a town called Tweed's Head. And yeah, which Porpoise is... Pit was based on was based on his hometown, which I thought was kind of cool. I thought that was cool too, because I, I I think when I originally just didn't know if this this was a, a fictional town, but it's sort of a sleepy beach town, and they ride in the cab saying goodbye to everything and. That moment for me, it's really poignant. I feel like the end of this movie about Muriel just like leaving her hometown. Like I have a lot of feelings about that. And I don't know if you do about like, I definitely like, I mean, my whole life I've wanted to leave where I was from and I'm not from like a shitty small town. Like I'm from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Like it's a lot, it's a nice place to live. And I'm really glad you weren't respected there. though. And you weren't celebrated there. And you actually <laughs> left with a blemish on your name. So not it made sense name. for you I to can't go back. as quickly as you could. I can't go back to Cambridge anymore. Well, no, we I do love some Cambridge. things. I, I, what did the I, papers I, say? Were you accused <laughs> of crimes against nature? I don't remember the exact headline, but it, choices were made. It, it did. It did run in the Cambridge Chronicle. Um, so if you can find it, let me know. The we'll, Cambridge we'll Chronicle. We'll get the exact headline for Brandon. Uh, Talk about the no. chronic. <laughs> I 
I, I love Cambridge. I loved growing up there. It was a wonderful place to live, wonderful friends. My family is still there, but it was such an important element of my like adulthood to have to leave where I was from like that was not everyone needs that to feel like they have fully formed who they are and that is obviously everyone's on a different journey or whatever but like for me it was such a significant part of being able to find myself was like leaving who I was and everyone's expectation of, of of me and all of that to be able to really like search and find what I wanted in my life. So I very much relate to that like let's get the fuck out of here attitude. Yeah. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I, I really like this movie. And I, I like that it was in the tradition of the, you know, the Thelma and Louise's, the Romeo's and Michelle's, the boys on the sides, like those mm-hmm. sort of you know, woman odysseys, you know, mm-hmm. where they sometimes travel halfway around the world only to figure out that what they were looking for was inside of them the whole time. Uh, so it was a feel good. It was a feel good movie with, you know, quite a few dips along the way. But um, it was really great. Tony Collette, Rachel Griffiths, obviously performances of this movie sort of hinged on. They both were wonderful. And yeah, and I would absolutely watch this movie again. Yeah, it was a lot Good. of fun. I think I would. I think, yeah, it seems like a movie that would keep on giving and there'd be new little isms and quirks that I sort of uncovered every time I watched it. It was a fun movie. So this is a good recommendation, Jane. I'm so glad you liked it. I mean, obviously an incredibly significant movie for me growing up and, you know, probably one of the first Australian movies I have ever seen um, because I saw it, you know, when I was a kid. But I also am like, this was around the same year, I think around the same year that Priscilla, Queen of the Desert came out. So those were like two of my like, two of my favorite movies growing up were these two like weirdo Australian movies. Um, Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm I'm so glad that I got to share it with you and that you liked it. Oh, thank you, Janie. It was a lot of fun. So I would love to hear from you what you're going to be, um, what I, what I'll be facing next week. So so I was debating on this movie because okay. it's a movie that I love a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, what should I give her to watch? And it's been the movie that I've been thinking about having you watch, but for one reason or another, I'll be like, oh, I'll hold off. I'll hold off. I don't know why, um, but it, but I think that means that I I should get you to watch this movie. Okay. Um, you're going to be like, that movie? Okay. Um, but it's a movie <laughs> called uh, Mrs. Winterborn, and it is... Wait, it, hold on. Isn't like Ricky Lake in that movie or something? Yeah, she's not. She's the star of it. <laughs> okay, what the fuck is this movie? Okay. <laughs> okay, so in it is an understatement. It all rests squarely on her shoulders. Um, Wait, okay, what do you know? What year it came out? Ninety six. All right. What do you know anything about it other than you know the Queen of Talk, Ricky Lake, Oprah? <laughs> um. I know zero about it. When you said it, like, um, for some reason, just like the flash of like the the cover art or something came into my brain, and I saw Ricky Lake. But like I like that was a real shot in the dark. Like I wasn't sure that was right. I was like, it was either her or like 
Dame Judy Dench. Like those. <laughs> those are the two. Like based on the name of the movie, it sounds okay. like a movie that like Dame Judy Dench. Why can't I say her name? Dame Judy Dench like carried in like 1987. Well, like, you know the 1997 Mrs. Brown, a movie that you know there's a lot of debate around Judy Dench not winning the Best Lead Actress Academy Award for, and that's why they say that they gave oh. it to her in 99 for Shakespeare in Love for like the 10 minute Best Supporting Actress performance. Okay, that's more than I knew. I, I don't. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard of Mrs. Brown. I'm maybe it's a I great have, film, but it's maybe little... that's why it like triggered her when you said Mrs. Winter. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, it's a is great this, movie. It, okay, so yeah, I I know zero. Oh, I meant Mrs. Brown was a great film. Oh, is Mrs. Winterbottom not a great movie? Oh, first of all, Winterborn. This isn't Arrested Winter- Development. How <laughs> <laughs> <I> dare you? <laughs> Okay. So um, this isn't a Tobias Funke vehicle. This isn't a Funke joint. Um, no, I actually, I, I don't know if to give anything. I mean, it shouldn't be. I, I love this movie. No, I, I love this movie. I've seen it wait. so many times. And really? It just, it makes me feel good. All right. Well, I can't wait to see it. Tell me no more. Okay. And I meant like, that didn't mean make me feel good like Monster's Ball. Make me feel good. <laughs> I never got that. I didn't. Oh, I just want to make it clear. It's nice that you clarified something that wasn't even on my mind. But anyways, I'm excited and I can't wait to see it. You're going to love it. Don't worry. All right. Well, I can't wait. Um, Go Ricky. Go Ricky. Go Ricky. Go Ricky. (laughs) Wow. It's going to happen again next week, too. I love it. Of course. I so can't. I'm just warning you guys. Don't think, oh, we're done with the got that out of the way. No. No, no, no. For anybody who has stopped listening at this point, they'll, don't worry. They'll get it next week in the beginning. All right. Sure. On that note, you know, I'd like to stop listening too. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of fun talking to you, Jane. Um, I always, always have a lot of fun talking to you too, Brand. To our throngs of listeners out there, you know. Millions of you. We're going to say what we always say, and that's lead with love. And, um... <laughs> We've yeah. literally never said that, but... Um, I just did, so you're a liar. <laughs> well, thank you all for watching. We And for listening. I mean, and for listening. You can't see us. But we love you, and um, we hope that we have not lost your respect um, during this podcast. So, we shall see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Okay, there's Deidre.